Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. Mighty Lord, extend your kingdom, be the truth with Welcome to the War Room. I'm Bill Evans out here in Ontario, California. We've got Jason Matthias, executive producer of Beyond Off Grid, who lives in Salem, Virginia, on the other end of the line. Uh, welcome to the War Room, Jason. Hey, Bill. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate you, uh, your patience with me uh, trying to finally uh, arrange this uh, interview and uh, get on with you. I appreciate your time. Now, are you on Air Guard weekend or something? Yeah, I'm I'm all over the place. Um, so I'm currently up in New Jersey, uh, finishing up a long weekend with the Air Force Reserve. But um, I live in Virginia. That's where I go home, and I'd much rather be in Virginia than New Jersey. But uh, Virginia, you got pretty pretty uh, spots and some nice people. But it is New Jersey, so <laughs> you know what I mean. Well, Jason, one of the one of the main reasons that that brought you onto my radar screen was your excellent work. Uh, beyond off grid, and um, and you were referred to me by some uh, fellow brothers of the dirt. I think it was Derek uh, Evans who first told me I ought to check you guys out. And uh, I've since we first uh, made our each other's acquaintance, I was able to talk to a a friend of yours, Noah Sanders. And so I I really wanted to use this opportunity in the war room to promote your documentary and the body of information and skills that you and others like you are seeking to promote and draw attention to I've you know I've had James Wesley Rawls on the war room before and he's the godfather of preppers I wouldn't call you a prepper I think I would call you a homesteader I don't know if there's a difference Mount you why don't you go ahead and just uh talk about that a little bit how how do you define yourself how you found yourself in this track that you're in of uh and, and tell us about your your own particular family experiment and then uh the why this is important for the people of god and then tell us about the uh documentary quick background you know i grew up in southern california uh not far from where you're at right now and um I uh, was born and raised there, went off to the Northeast to uh, go to college and did ROTC when I was there and then went right into active duty with the Air Force and uh, while I was stationed in New Jersey flying on tankers, I met my wife. And um, once we started having children, and of course, you know, the period after 9-11 drastically increased the amount of the, the ops tempo and uh, being a mobility pilot, I had kind of ulti- other than maybe special operations I had like the ultimate instability of lifestyle because I could be have to leave within 18 hours at any given point for God knows how long and so the year before and year after we got married I was gone over uh, half the time 
as you started having children, um, and through God's providence, my last assignment I had to do was actually working with the Army, which was a lot more stable lifestyle because they get do one-year deployments and everything else is on a training schedule that I was supporting as a liaison officer. So um, right after we had a first child, we actually I got to, to leave the crazy um, off-tempo and go work with the Army for a while, and it was kind of like more normal family life. And once I got a taste of that, I was like, well, I don't really want to leave this. I don't want to go back to that craziness and my kids you know hardly seeing me and my wife having all the burden of raising a bunch of young children and um, and homeschooling and moving every two years and that's what life is going to be like for another decade because I was only halfway to retirement so I decided to leave active duty and go into the reserves and it was around that time when we went to New York um, in uh, about 2005 or so Um, God also in that kind of process of having a more stable lifestyle kind of brought me back to my roots which was um, I grew up gardening and my parents had a garden since I was a baby and so it's a very natural thing for me um, we started eating healthier and started sourcing food from our local food economy and so God started this journey um, over a decade ago of reconnecting with where our food comes from and growing more of it ourselves and so that was kind of the, the background lifestyle stuff that was really a foundation for getting involved with this project for various reasons, um, skipping some of the career moves I made and transitioning out um, back in about 2012-2013, connected with Sean Town, who's the director of the film, and he had already uh, basically come up with the concept for the Unupgrid film, uh, largely as a result of reading a book by Michael Bunker called Surviving Off Off Grid. And that book basically challenges the modern paradigm, even the modern paradigm that most preppers have, which is a consumption-based paradigm, and challenges people to take things to a logical extent and think about, right, are we doing what we're doing just because that's all we've known and we haven't challenged presuppositions, or are we doing what we're doing because we thought about all that and we're fine accepting those things. And so um, Sean started working on it. Um, some friends of mine, we had mutual friends, found out about it and said, put us in, t- in touch, and uh, I was already kind of doing some online marketing and different things um, it, within, an, kind of in the food space, local food, um, grow your own food space, which is kind of a, a group of people that are interested in those topics, and Sean asked me to help get the word out of the film, and then later came back and asked me to be the executive producer and do all the marketing and the, and the business side of the film. Um, so that's how the adventure began, and little did I know that uh, you know, three and a half years later, uh, we'd have a film. We didn't think it was going to take that long, but um, I didn't I didn't anticipate going into this project being so integral to the production and even being in the film. That was not the initial plan. I was going to kind of be behind the scenes. Um, so I'll, I'll stop there, and we can circle back to some of those things. But just in terms of background, the reason I, I decided to get involved with this project is because it largely was uh, mirroring or very closely related to a lot of the lifestyle change that my family had been going through. And of course, after the 2008 financial crisis, which is kind of when I started waking up to corporatism in America and fascism and all these other things, um, the film resonated with me at a very deep level because I had been going through this this mind transformation, transformation of my mind, breaking out of mind prisons of various forms, and also the lifestyle transformation that my family had been going through. So all these things kind of made it just a natural fit to work on this project. I have since 
reached out to people that I saw in the documentary and they're the majority of them are accessible to some degree or another on Facebook Michael Bunker he really is taking it to a new level uh, I, I watched some of his things now he is a very he's smarter than most of us I think in fact, he's so smart that his humor goes over most, generally goes over my head. But he's really a, a unique individual. I'd like to meet him sometime, if for no other reason than he rolls his own cigars. But <laughs> but I know that they live um, out in the hill country, Santa Ana, Texas, and you know, they have an ice house and a smokehouse. And they, I, I guess they are really their intent. They look like a bunch of Amish. Uh, but I guess that's the easiest kind of clothing to make. But I, I get the impression that their their goal is to really be self-sufficient. Of course, there's other guys like Scott Terry up in New York. And then you've got uh, Noah Sanders down there in Alexander City, uh, or near Alexander City, Alabama, who's managing a family farm. And then, of course, you've got people that uh, Mike Brabo, want to give shout-outs to all these guys. You all have slightly different levels of engagement and different expertise do you not you're not all carbon copies of one another no not at all um you mentioned michael bunker if nobody has is if for people that aren't familiar with him um if you if you like i'm assuming that a lot of people on this listen to podcast probably are into presuppositional thinking and questioning uh everything that modernity feeds us right michael bunker and his family kind of re-questioned everything and they basically it's like you know what people lived for hundreds and thousands of years without electricity um and they were perfectly happy and fulfilled and had very uh, wonderful lives what what do you, what, what things do we actually need like you know electrical gadgets and all these other kind of things for so they went down that road and largely live uh, completely off grid. The only on grid they have is basically his office, which um, he uses for writing. He's an author, so he mostly writes fiction books. So he had they have a small solar um, setup for powering his office and batteries and all that kind of stuff. And he does his writing. And he's, it's kind of ironic because they dress plain and have a kind of the plain lifestyle, Amish like. They're not Amish, but Amish like. But he's one of the most active people you'll see on Facebook, right? And you wouldn't necessarily know that he lived like that just reading his posts because he engages in popular culture and all this kind of thing. So he's definitely a character, uh, as you were mentioning. Um, and the reason why Sean decided to do this uh, this project was largely the inspiration that book provided and um, the first set of interviews that were filmed were with Michael, um, interviewing Mo, both talking about that book and the concepts in the book, but also doing a tour of their homestead and looking at the way they live. The idea being, you know, people, um, their personal experience is largely going to be what determines what they think their own possibility is. And it's actually one of the biggest problems we have with modern life is that most people are in a box that they don't realize is there. Their, their minds are actually in a box. Um, and this is, is not just with politics and other things, but even just in terms of lifestyle, the things that we think are possible or the things that we think are necessary are largely defined by what we've been taught or what we've been learned through experience. And so in order to um, address some of the challenges and particularly the negatives that modern life has brought to us, we need to kind of question everything and think about, okay, well, are all these things we've become accustomed to and think as 
necessary because we always have them. Are they actually needed? Can we do without? Can we replace them with other simpler technology that's maybe more reliable and less prone to um, disruption when central systems break down and all these kind of things? So that's kind of how the project started. And then a lot of the other people that are interviewed for the film, people like um, Cody um, up in the Northwest, um, in the Pacific Northwest, he, he's uh, on YouTube, Angler Stars, his YouTube channel, he's pretty much got the biggest homesteading uh, YouTube channel. He was interviewed, um, and the neat thing about Cody is that he's got, you know, basically a huge platform that's largely centered around the homesteading lifestyle, but he's a believer, and he often will touch on the motivating factors for why um, they decided to live that lifestyle. And, um, but, it, you know, he's produced so much video content because he's basically documented in video over the past five or six years their families kind of beginning homesteading, all the things that they learn, reclaiming lost skills, all these kind of things. Um, so unless you're very familiar with all of watching all his videos, you wouldn't necessarily have all of that perspective of kind of what's the why, what's the, the underpinning in terms of the faith. So we interviewed Cody talking about that, and he had some really interesting things. To say, and so you're right, all the people in the film, um, whether it's Michael or Cody or Franklin Sanders, who, you know, moved to the country in Middle Tennessee, um, back around the, the turn of the millennium, uh, Y2K time frame, and took his family with seven children and bought a farm, started homesteading, even doing things off-grid, like using draft power animals instead of tractors and all these kind of things. Um, experimenting with all these kind of lifestyle changes. All these people have had different roads um, and they're doing different things currently, but largely there's a, there's a common understanding amongst all of them that modern life is not really all it's cracked up to be. And if we don't question uh, a lot of the presuppositions that modern life and technological, uh, the technological West is based upon that we are going to be um, continuing to live our lives accepting a lot of limitations on our range of action because we accept as a, as a constraint and as normal something that it doesn't necessarily need to be a constraint for us. Does that make sense? Well, that sounds unique. That's going to be a unique twist that the idea that, that uh, forsaking so many of the modern conveniences is actually a way to become more liberated. When I mentioned your uh, this particular documentary and the entire prepper mindset, specifically, I hate more back to the back to the earth uh, ideology that uh, yours is is something unique from prepper. It's not, although I appreciated the fact that far from being about draft animals and permafrost gardening and and uh no-till gardening and naturopathic medicine things like that that your that your documentary did deal a great deal with basically painting with a very comprehensive brush the 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 vulnerability uh, of modern of people who are reliant upon the system i use that in quotes the grid, you define the grid as not merely referring to the electrical grid, but basically a control grid, and it's multidimensional and overlapping, and you know, whether it has to do with statism or our media or the food just-in-time supply system, 
the growth system, manufacturing, and all these various different elements that go into making us the type of people such that if we were ever exposed or ever encountered an end of life as we know it experience, there would be massive casualties. And not only would we not be able to build the kingdom, but we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be able to survive. We wouldn't be able to feed our families and, uh, and basically to, to, to um, maintain even the most bare essentials of, of uh, survival uh, because we've become weak and sort of dependent. We're kind of like zoo animals. If you feed them, they can't forage for themselves. They don't know how to, to feed themselves. And that's where the classic uh, case of don't feed the animals but I was rather surprised when I talked to some other Reconstructionist people who, very, of course, were not a were not a uh, um, a uh, homogeneous group. The feedback I got is that, well, you know, modern technology and manufacturing and the means of production and and the idea of of of, uh, of specialization was actually a good thing because. That is the key to wealth generation. Well, and I, of course, I made the comment, well, if the electrical grid falls, if it collapses, your fault, our fault, nobody's fault. I mean, your, your, your wealth, your Federal Reserve notes aren't going to be worth anything anyway. Uh, the only thing that's going to count at that point is the ability to feed your family and to survive until you can, until a, a semblance of order can be established and you can begin to resume uh, with kingdom building. Have you encountered people actually who thought that there was a downside to what you brothers are proposing? The objection to to the film as a whole, and particularly to what we point to, um, you know, but there's the problem, which I'll get to in a minute, but the solution, there's different solutions, right? The whole preparedness movement and all the preppers and everything, uh, especially the they focus on kind of apocalyptic scenarios. That is the result of people understanding the potential, not the likely necessarily, but the potential um, scenarios that could lead to disruptions in modern systems that would make it very challenging to live a normal life, if not threaten survival, right? Um, we, uh, in, in this film, chose to focus on the response you got focusing people's response on lifestyle change, particularly that which is um, a the fundamental change from being just a consumer to trying to become more and more of a producer. Okay, now with that teaser, I'm going to leave that and go back to to the problem. Um, and by the way, the um, besides the trailer, which is a, Come in a long trailer you can see on the website. You can actually watch the entire um, six-minute intro to the film for free on our website, and I'll give you the link at the end of the podcast. If you really want to um, go there, we'll have a page for your listeners to to get access to that. And also, 2017, right? We're um, uh, okay. We got a new president. We survived eight years of Obama. Um, we're nine years since the financial crisis of 2008. Uh, we are pushing, what is it, 16 years since 9-11. Um, where are we at today? Okay. Uh, if you don't 
We're nineteen trillion in debt. That's where we are. Well, that's that's one thing. That that's just one of the things. Uh, we actually don't even talk about that uh, in a whole lot of depth. Um, but um, that is probably the people actually people can't really understand nineteen trillion. They can't understand what a trillion dollars is, right? It, it's a million, million, million. It, like they, it's incomprehensible for a billion dollars is incomprehensible for most people. But um, just speaking on the debt for a second, since you brought it up. It is mathematically impossible to pay off the debt at this point. Like, we are already beyond the point of no return. Agreed. Agreed. So, um, the debt is a good point, um, a good um, object to focus on uh, regarding this. Here is the premise. The debt is perhaps the most prominent, but by no means the only or uh, even the only significant um, amongst a uh, plethora of completely unsustainable trends, right? The debt is unsustainable. It's actually beyond, like I said, beyond the point of no return. There are a lot of other fundamental underlying um, economic, cultural, governmental, in almost every area of, of life, there's all these uh, unsustainable systems and unsustainable trends that are all in process right now, and they're all continuing forward with no, without slowing down towards a sustainable, um, some kind of, like a turnaround towards a sustainable future. And I'm not going to do all of these, but um, the, the context that we chose to describe this um, mass of unsustainability, right, of, of danger, of impending destruction in various forms, was by comparing modern America in particular, although it, a, lot of it, a lot of it relates to the West in general, but particularly uh, America being the lone superpower, the um, you know at the at the top of the pyramid, so to speak, in terms of global power, human power. Um, comparing modern America to the late Roman Empire before the fall of the Western Roman Empire, Empire and the complete dismantling of the entire uh, Western Western Empire that had ruled for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So, you know, America's world dominance has only been uh, for pushing about 70 years now in the 80s, so it's relatively young as world empires go. Um, and if anybody doubts that America is an empire, just um, watch the film, and I think it makes a pretty good case for how America is a world empire um, particularly militarily, the likes of which Rome would have been extremely jealous of. But nonetheless, we compare um, the late Roman Empire before its fall to America in five key ways, and there are more, but these are five that we wanted to highlight. Um, one, the fascist economy of Rome and that exists in America, and I think this is going to be the one that ends up, end up it really ends up uh, impacting people the most. Uh, and it already is, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to impact people the most, and it's going to be one of the ones that I think that will help challenge people's uh, normalcy bias. Uh, we can circle back to that later if we have time. The second one is, is the tyranny in Rome and also in America. And I think at this point in 2017, if anybody doubts that we live in at least a late tyranny with the surveillance state and everything else, that um, you're at best in denial, right? Um, the third area is in terms of militarism and war-making, 
the Roman Empire became what it was through making waging war constantly and always being at war. And America, largely speaking, has also uh, reached and maintained its power in the world through uh, military might in various forms. And the last two are um, how our culture is depraved and becoming more depraved uh, as time goes on. Uh, I think most Christians acknowledge that and are concerned about it. Um, and ultimately, this is a form of internal weakness that is one of the most critical that ends up leading to uh, the systemic change in a civil, like civilizational change, right? Is the, uh, the morality of the people. And it makes the culture and the society less resilient to systemic shocks of other forms, like economic crisis uh, and other things. And the final one is how the population is dependent upon government and uh, centralized economics systems. So this is the five economy, tyranny, working, depravity, and dependency. These five areas are without a doubt um, striking similarities to what Rome was going through the um, unsustainable trends going on in the late Roman for decades leading up to it's collapsed, and even maybe more than a century. And in, in, in the U.S., really, these have been going on for at least three decades, not four decades, depending on how you count them. Actually, you look at things like um, corporatist economy and um, overseas interventionism, it's been going on for far longer than that, although most people don't really realize it because they don't know history. So we, we why do we use this historical perspective? Because people have normal... That just because what they've experienced in their lifetime, I'm taught about is the only history they've been taught. How did why an empire? It is because people think that um, what they've always known is always what it's going to be. In the thought that there would be some kind of systemic collapse or systemic change, fundamental change in an economy or government or um, societal structure, uh, and even in terms of things like famine and other things like that, um, about the closest thing people can conceptualize it as something like the Great Depression in the 30s, which I'll take just a moment to address, because if you look at the Great Depression in the 30s uh, and compare that to what we have today, you're actually a new Great Depression era since at least 2000. Um, and if you look at um, reliable economic statistics, actually, even if you just use some of the government statistics, but particularly if you look at the ones that don't discount and take out a bunch of factors to make, the, make a rosier picture than actually exists, what you have today for the past eight, nine years, um, since 2008, crisis, at least the economy, is unemployment is at least as bad during the Great Depression. Nobody, except for a few people who have looked at this uh, and looked at alternative sources of information, not just government and media propaganda, um, most people don't realize is this the case. Why is that? Uh, it is because in the 30s, you had people that were out of work, very high unemployment, and people, and people couldn't feed their families, and, and they needed to eat, so what did they do? They, they stood in bread lines to get, to get food. 
And, and um, today, today, we don't, we don't have, have that. Why? Because, because people are, their, their red, red line is the EBT uh, card they get from the government, government that, that is the modern, modern version of food stamps. stamps. So they're, so they're in the grocery store line right next, next to you, you getting the groceries, groceries just like, like you are. So, so there, there's, there's this invisible mass of dependent people, dependent upon, upon the government, government. Uh, um, or, or in, in even in other cases, like, like since the housing, housing collapse, there's, there's been, been um, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of families that have had, had to leave the home they were in because of foreclosure or whatever else and move back, back in with other family members. Americans are great at keeping up appearances. You know, you mentioned the people who are buying groceries with the EBT line and uh, with the EBT card in the line in front of you at the, at the, at the food store. And there are problems. This is, this is not working, so you have to switch checkout lines. And, uh, and, and of course, the idea of that system is, is, to, is designed to remove the shame. You know, they want to be able to, to function the, the way you function, and so the government is facilitating that. Uh, I think, in large measure, it, it's like a, it's like, it, it's like uh, when you're, ob when you've gotten, ob um, you know, morbidly obese over the years from non-activity, and in your mind you still want to maintain, you, you know, you still want to pretend in your mind and 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 and. And believe a lie, essentially. I think people, uh, they don't want to face the fact that they're not what they used to be or that things aren't what they used to be. And, and quite frankly, if people don't have a solution for it or if the solution seems out of reach because the problem is just so uh, grand in scale that, it, that, 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 a, that a solution seems elusive, you know, the, the next step is just uh, denial. And uh, another, you know, characteristic of Roman culture that that you probably you'd probably put under the subset of depravity is is the emphasis on distraction and entertainment to keep people's mind off of the 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 real state of affairs. Now, so I I, I understand that for a person who subscribes to a glass half full perspective they're post-millennial and they believe that uh, the future in some form or fashion is to be better than the present or better than the past I should say then uh, somehow or the other uh, a, a, and a continued um, progress is, is is what they're looking for it's what they want to uh, I always am quick to point out, though, that that just having a post-millennial eschatology does not preclude big gaps of judgment and hardship, you know, where nations come under the judgment of God and they go through extremely hard times where the, the, the body of Christ is sifted like wheat and taken down to the, to the root. Uh, of course, it comes out stronger. Uh, I would say something like what the body of Christ Christians in North Korea are experiencing now. Um, my, the question I have uh, for you guys is, as are you, uh, I'm sorry, I meant y'all. Uh, didn't want to sound like I was a Yankee. But uh, it is, okay, given, given, let's say, Michael Bunker's uh, approach, what, how do you go from, how do you go from that to, 
taking dominion because it, it you know when you when your entire when the world as you know it the world as it exists today with international trade and euros and yuans and dollars and 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 um, global communications when this is your reality and 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 and, and uh, okay let's say you 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 withdraw from that now i i don't i don't entertain for a moment that let's say yourself or michael bunker or these other men are pietists their goal is not to cede the battlefield to the enemy and just say we're going to check out and just get into our holy huddle in the country i mean obviously that's not the motivation uh, they want to be, uh, but the question is, is from, from a lifestyle that many would consider to be backward or going back in, in, in you know, several hundred years in our technology, uh, you might, people might ask, well, how do you take dominion from that? But what they may not understand is if they don't, if they don't factor in the vulnerability of our, of our society and everything that we've come to accept and know. As, as, as the norm, if we don't factor in the fact that, that that's vulnerable and that um, there's any number of, of, of natural disasters or God-ordained disasters or uh, human enemies uh, are just uh, weaknesses in the system that could cause it to collapse and overnight we're going to be plunged back into 200 year and we're going to be plunged back into the 19th century. And so the only way you're going to even be able to survive is if you can survive in the 19th century. It, it is not, you know, you can't take dominion if you're not alive. You have to be surviving. You have to, you can't be in a position where the bulk of your energy is is uh, devoted to merely just gathering your what you're going to eat out of dumpsters or wherever you can find it, a, a polluted food sources. So I can I can understand. I, I mean, I, I'm absolutely. Uh, on board with the idea that there's nothing quite as tactical as survival and uh, it doesn't matter how 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 godly or how gifted you are if you're if you're not able to feed yourself if you're not healthy if you're not safe if you're not secure if you're not you're you, there's no you know it doesn't matter you're out of the game you're out of the fight so uh i i, I is is a uh, is a, the looming judgment of god are the massive uh, um, vulnerabilities of our system at the at the root or at the heart of what um, y'all are are are, are uh, anticipating at some point in the future or our probability in the future that that drives this initiative? Well. well let me, Let me do, do this, because we, we, uh, we could, could do several episodes talking about all these issues in more depth, depth, but um, to, to address the, the issue you're talking about, about of um, there is, and there could be a whole episode just on this, of what is a biblical approach technology, right? Because I think there is a, a um, many of the evils in uh, the modern world uh, over the past, really, really since, really since industrialism, right? Many of the evils in the modern world have, have been a result of the church and believers taking an unbiblical uh, approach to the use of technology. In other words, thinking that technology is somehow agnostic, 
the application of technology is agnostic, right? And it's only on certain issues that we end up taking a stand, but we're not consistent in our application of biblical ethics to the use of technology in a lot of other areas. Um, so that, again, that could be a whole episode. But, but the reason I bring that up is because this argument that, well, technology is a good thing, and all the stuff that we modern gadgets and things that we have, you know, very cheap products and efficient systems and all this kind of stuff is, is, all, is all good and no bad. Um, is, is a, I think, a bit, a bit of a naive approach, and, and uh, at, at a minimum, it is, a, a, I think, an unwise approach in terms of hedging our bets, right? right? Um, because because as, 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 as unlikely as an EMP attack is, that, that would knock, knock out the, um, you know, the grid system, system and lots of electronic circuit uh, products. Uh, processors and basically, basically like, like you're saying, saying take it back, back to the 19th century. As unlikely as that is, it's possible. And Congress over a decade ago did a study on it and said if this happened within a year, 90% of the population would be dead. Think about that. 90% of over 330 million people would be dead if this happened. Don't you think that's kind of a serious threat? Congress, the, the congressional panel that studied this said this is the single biggest threat outside of thermonuclear war to our population. Have they done anything, Congress done anything to implement the recommendations for hardening systems and having uh, backups ready to replace systems like that stuff? No, they haven't done anything. Well, the only thing I would say is that I would, I would correct them, I would correct Congress or these experts, and I would say the greatest threat to national security and life as we know it is the wrath of God? You know, uh, exactly. It, it's not. It's not the North Koreans or the Chinese. You know, it, whether it would oh, be. I and I, I, I mentioned before whether it was a uh, an explosion of the you know the eruption of the Yellowstone caldera, the New Madrid earthquake, a solar storm, what what have you. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that there is nothing as tactical as surviving. And um, I don't want to. I don't want to uh, not be able to do justice to these topics because I know that there's a lot covered. And I presume. Uh, tell me, uh, Jason, are there sequels planned for Beyond Off Grid? Um, not, not right, right now. now. The film I'm still a bit in awe that God enabled us to fit so much into 90 minutes, but. Um, um, let me continue my point, and then we'll figure out all I'll get to the second half of the film, which is what we actually propose people focus on as a result of how to respond to these challenges. So, um, to wrap up what we were talking about, um, how unlikely those updates are, um, to just completely pass them by and do no thinking whatsoever about, okay, how can we, um, try to mitigate the potential impact of some of these things. things. But by, by the way, um, lesser destructive scenarios are much more likely, um, including things that are not just likely but probable, things like significant financial crisis again in the very near future, um, because all the things that caused the 2009 crisis have not been fixed and actually they've shut down and are worse now than they were nine years ago. Um, how are we prepared to deal with those things? Down, Down to the very basic level, let's take a very basic level for family. 
How are you prepared to deal for job loss? And if your answer is, I'm going to take unemployment insurance from the government and wait till I get a job, you're a fool. Why do I say that? I mean, that's pretty strong words, right, saying a fool. The reason why is because the economy that we're in is contracting. The real economy is not growing. The financial economy is at all-time high because of pumping trillions of dollars in the financial sector. The real economy is actually shrinking in real terms. And what that means is that unemployment, um, despite what the government reports, continues to climb without end. There is a, a systemic unemployment and systemic growth problem. And it's even reported from government um, data that you know, the Obama administration is the first administration since World War II to not achieve 3% growth during an entire eight-year administration. Um, so even to that extent, they acknowledge it, but then when you actually factor in like real inflation and all the other stuff, it's actually like negative. The economy is contracting. So in a contracting economy, a long-term downturn, not just a short-term recession and announces back a year later, we're in a systemic contraction because of all the structural factors and government intervention and taxation and corporatism and all that stuff. If you lose your job, how are you going to provide your family? How are you going to survive? Christians, I don't believe, should not have their backup plan to depend on the government or to depend on the local body of believers with the um, vain or the very overly optimistic hope that they're just going to find a job immediately, not in the current labor market. So even on an issue as simple as you know, um, table, table, kitchen table uh, level discussion as you know, how am I going to pay the bills? We need to be thinking through these things. And so that is one area of dependency that most people don't even consider because they, they, they have a job, they're working for an employer. They don't think, oh, I'm dependent on the government, but you're still dependent on your employer for And, you know, in, uh, most investment advisors, financial advisors will, they, you know, the, the most basic strategy or principle that is given to you know, baby investors is what, what diversify your assets. assets. Well, they, they teach, teach that in investment, uh, but almost nobody diversifies their income sources. Most people are single income or maybe both um, adults in you know, husband and wife are working and they have two incomes. But if your your basic living expenses are above the income of the lowest income earner and you lose your job, now what are you going to do? You can't make ends meet with your current low income. So... One of the things that uh, we don't talk about as much in the film, but it's kind of a very basic application of this, looking for risks that we've accepted that we should rethink, and looking for ways we can reduce those risks and reduce our dependence on this, these centralized modern systems, which includes this centralized corporatist economy that is um, in really bad shape and getting worse is to think through how are we going to um, strategically make decisions with what we're doing with our time and stewarding our resources and even training our children to build a better future, particularly with uh, the thought in mind, what if the system that in many respects is unsustainable and cannot be fixed, and you are talking about the debt earlier, what are we going to do when that system finally reaches its terminal point, like, like when the government loses its solvency, I mean, it's already insolvent, when it's actually realized that it's insolvent, people don't understand what that means and what that's going to mean to them. How are they prepared to deal with those kind of things? And then you talked, you talked earlier about just-in-time supply systems and some of the other things you talk about 
all the centralized systems that we are com- we become completely dependent upon. I mean, honestly, with smartphones and stuff these days, people can't navigate their way out of a paper bag without Google Maps. How do they think they're going to be able to re-lo- uh, relocate and, and find uh, get back together with their family members when there's some kind of natural disaster that, for instance, takes down the cell phone system, the network, and they can't make calls, they can't communicate all these basic things that we used to be not dependent on, we're all dependent upon these things because of these technologies. So it's not the technology that's bad, it's our acceptance of a risk that we haven't thought about, haven't considered, that isn't wise, and we're asking people to think about how they can be wise in changing lifestyle so that, not so that they, they completely get rid of it, but so that they, they hold it lightly, in other words. Um, so, so how, how do, do we do that? that? And the, the latter portion of the film, after we describe all these systemic risks that make America very much like uh, the late Roman Empire, we say, well, like you were saying, there's nothing more tactical than survival, right? What does survival require? The three things you need to survive are water, food, and shelter. And that's what we focus on in the second part of the film. We talk about, okay, you need to be able to provide for you and your family these essential things. Have you thought about how you're going to do that? And let us give you some ideas or some things to consider on alternatives to these modern centralized systems we have no control over and how to provide those things for your family. And so our focus really is, is trying to give people an idea of what ways can they change their lifestyle to be more productive, to be less dependent on centralized systems, to try to live healthier lives, lives that are more fulfilling even. Um, that, that result from a change of lifestyle. And, and then in the, the final section of the film, we kind of wrap everything up by talking about the importance of family and community and really try to get a very optimistic, hopeful look at the future, which is based upon the fact that all these unsustainable things um, are, are going to be changing in our lifetimes for most of us. How are we preparing now, um, ourselves, our families, our churches, our communities, to be able to be not just prepared to take care of our own in a disaster, which then means that we might actually have some margin to be the hands and feet of Christ to the body of believers, to a, heart, uh, a loss in maybe literally dying world, but also how are we going to be able to build something to replace these things that are falling apart for the future? How are we going to build a hopeful uh, and optimistic future? How are we going to, to build a just an ethical, biblical framework for a new economy? Are we, are we being um, content to just sit around and let the pagan, um, God-hating humanist elites who are running the system hold the cards and, and run the show? Or are we trying to actually strategically make decisions at a local decentralized level and working with other families and other um, people throughout the country who are like-minded like those on your show? To work together to find alternatives that are more resilient, more hopeful, um, more able to weather the storms that are coming. And so that's what we're really trying to point people to. Why don't you uh, give us a, a, a short reading list? I'd, I would suggest a, a good primer for people who have not really in, entertained this, this topic before is a book by um, William R. Fortune. Uh, it's F-O-R. S T C H E N called one second after, and it basically uh, it, it is the the initial 
challenges of surviving and maintaining normalcy and just life and dealing with the death in the aftermath of whatever sort of thing. And, and there's all kinds of other, uh, I would also recommend James Wesley Rawls, uh, um, survivalblog.com. He's got over 40,000 topics and articles there. Uh, Jason, <clears throat> what would you give us as a, uh, as a as an assignment, a reading or a watching assignment? Of course, naturally, we, you need you to tell us how they can access the film Beyond Off Grid and then any other ancillary um, attendant uh, literature that, that you would recommend. Sure. Well, our purpose of the film uh, is to, it's not to give the nuts and bolts of everything needed for, for lifestyle change or these things. It's really to try to give a high-level view of a lot of the things people need to be looking at, um, talk about the seriousness of them, and the fact that we need to seal ourselves and prepare for uh, in our lifetimes or in our children's lifetimes um, fundamental systemic change in our economy, government, society, uh, civilizational change. Uh, and, and by the way, governments in Europe talking about birth rates of native population versus the Muslims have already basically said that in the next like few decades that um, many Western European nations are going to be majority Muslim nations, right? So this is not like me just... Um, being hyper, uh, hyperbolic about civilizational change. Like, this is happening, and humanists, who are not believers, are talking about it, right? So, um, back to the resources. I, I think that the... Um, we really want to point people to look at, um, at the most fundamental types of, of change. Which is, instead of like toying around the edges with, you know, well, uh, maybe I'm going to start doing some preparedness stuff or whatever, um, kind of re-question everything. Is what you're doing in your life right now fulfilling? Is it what is, um, are you being the best steward with what God is giving you? Um, are you uh, raising the next generation and equipping them to be able to be ready to handle challenges that are coming? And I think when you look at those things, um, it's not that everything, everybody's going to go off and start growing their own food and becoming a homesteader. Though I think that we need to regain, um, as a people, a lot of those lost skills that, frankly, I didn't mention earlier, but they're one of the reasons that people survive the Great Depression is because they have those skills of self-reliance. They could grow their own food. They could hunt. They could do all these things to take care of themselves and each other. Because at that time, they didn't have the government program to do for them, um, largely speaking. So... We need to look at um, preparing ourselves and regaining those skills for ourselves and our families and our churches and our communities um, that are going to make us more resilient to whatever crisis might come. There's a, you know, a whole huge number of, of them that could be happening in the very near future. Right. Um, looking at what kind of things you want to be doing, I would say um, be, becoming more healthy in your lifestyle, particularly eating good food. Um, so not just buying organic at Walmart, but actually trying to grow some of your own food or reconnecting with local food producers or using good food production methods. And I would recommend, uh, if you're interested in a biblical um, treatise or, or really a primer on agriculture, to read Noah Sanders' book, Born Again Dirt, which is by far the best primer on biblical approach to, to agriculture that I think is out there. Have you read his book? No, but I've had a, I've had a good conversation with him, and... Uh We'll have him on the War Room, Lord willing, in time. I'd like to get his book. 
yeah. uh, I was going to say earlier when you were talking about the three things that are necessary for survival is water, food, and shelter. I would I would uh, probably interject that no, it's water, nutrition, and shelter. See, the food we have plenty of food now. There's just no nutrients. <laughs> it's depleted. And so the idea is, is not just food; it's quality of food. It's nut- you know. So what we have to have is water. Nutri- we have to have be hydration, and nutrition, and uh, and then shelter. But uh, right. but and that is, we point that out in the film. And I will say too that um, we don't talk about health per se. Um, in other words, we don't get into like the health epidemic in America. But largely speaking, most of our um, uh, our epidemic of um, chronic health problems in America are due to what we eat and uh, the environmental toxins that we're exposing ourselves to. So if you're sick or your family is sick, you have a much higher uh, burden and a much harder time taking care of them, providing for them, and it's particularly you know, being able to not just survive but thrive in any kind of a crisis. So it's important that people start looking at these topics, even if they're not going to be homesteading or anything else, but looking at, you know, are, do we have a healthy lifestyle? Are we eating clean, healthy food? Are we um, honoring God in, in how we steward the creation he's given us? And frankly, where does our food come from? Are the, the people that are producing our food, are they being uh, uh, good stewards of God's creation? And frankly, I think if you, you know, go listen to a few talks by Joel Salton, probably quickly realize that most of what's produced in the industrial food system is not honoring God in the way that it's produced, um, particularly in terms of raising animals. So, um, but, you know, um, Noah's book is a good one. Um, I also recommend, um, like I said before, watch the intro to the film. You can watch the first six minutes for free, and we try to, in a very short period of time, give a, a preview of a lot of the big topics that we're going to cover. And... I think we're at a point where, you know, anybody who is like paying attention to what's going on, and uh, particularly if you've got children or grandchildren and you're concerned about the future and what they're going to have to deal with, there's a lot of different things that people are concerned about. And people are, are troubled about a lot of things, but they don't necessarily understand how a lot of these different things they see, like what's going on, how do they interrelate. And so a lot of what the first half of the film is trying to do is put these puzzle pieces together so that. People get a picture of like, how, why are these things happening? How are they happening? And what's the impact? And if you can, if you can get a better understanding of that, I think we have um, what we're trying to do is inspire people to do something about it. Yeah. And so in the second half, we give them some some insights about things that they can do uh, for lifestyle change. But ultimately, you know, the, there's so much that can be done in lifestyle change, whether it's healthy eating or growing more of your own food or um, becoming more of a producer, not just a consumer, you know, starting a small home-based business or something like this. All these things um, are, are you could, we could never cover probably uh, to a sufficient manner, even in a, you know, 10, 10 or even 20-hour documentary series. And so one of the things that I did um, in uh, fundraising for this project is I um, hosted a regular webinar training um, session where we invited uh, speakers that were in the film and other people who had expertise in different topics to come in and teach people about, you know, how do you start growing your own food. Um, Franklin Sanders, who's a financial commentator um, and has a big emphasis on encouraging people to try to um, reduce their exposure to decentralized financial and economic systems, how do we prepare for a potential economic crisis or economic collapse? 
we have to – this is a quote from the webinar that he gave. He said, we have to start building a new economy now. In other words, we have to be making purposeful choices now in how we spend our money and what we do with our time to build a just and more prosperous economy uh, at a local level where we can have influence going forward so that as these things start to come apart and as there, there becomes more and more problems with the system, instead of having to respond to all that, we've already um, mitigated the risk that we have from it and we're, we can be in a position to actually be leaders going into the future. So instead of the, the fatalistic carbon mindset where people say, I'm going to wait for the economic collapse, I'm going to you know, stick it out in my bunker when everybody's dead, I'm going to come out and rebuild from the ashes. Well, that's pretty ridiculous. We need to start building now the, the economy, the culture, um, the civilization that will be needed in the future to replace these humanistic, um, God-hating systems that are tearing at the seams and starting to fall apart all around us. Yeah, and Peter Allison brought out the fact that the power that the beast has over us is debt. So if you want to reduce the power yeah. of the beast, reduce your debt, eliminate your debt. And I thought that was yeah. that was a, that was a takeaway. Yeah, and, and and debt is based on what consumption. So that's another way that you this. If people ask me, okay, break it down for me. What's the biggest thing for me to do? So if you focus on one thing, this this thought pattern or this um, motivating thought should be what you come back to. Instead of just being a consumer, I need to try to be a producer, producer. more and more a producer. So, Rachel, there, Bill. Yeah. Okay. Um, whether that's growing, uh, starting to grow some of your food in a garden, whether that's starting a small st uh, small business, um, whether that is uh, building Kydex holsters like Jeff Botkin? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, like uh, like his son. Uh, whatever it is, produce something of value, and it doesn't necessarily need to be something physical. That I'd recommend um, physical production, uh, and that's why I would say the most basic thing. You know, God has given most people a small plot of land. They have a yard they can grow something in. Get out, out there and get your hands. Hey, speak for yourself. appreciation for your food. If you start trying to grow it and you're going to get reconnected with this creation and there's blessings all around, right? Because um, most people in the modern economy, they're doing office work and they're in a controlled environment and they, they're really disconnected. No, listen, after, a, after uh, of course, I've been out of the matrix for some time, but uh, uh, this was not new. In fact, a lot of it was confirmation of what I already knew. But uh, I'm in the process now, Lord willing, of uh, I've purchased a 28-foot Airstream which is not exactly going back to the 19th century, but I'm planning on moving it to some friends' acreage in rural Tennessee. About then, we're going to get six acres, and they've got pigs and goats and chickens and, mm -hmm. and fresh water sources, and uh, they're like-minded. And so, you know, I'm planning on, you know, I'm not, I'm not buying a house in town, that's for sure. Right. And, and here's the thing, is that that kind of a, that kind of a lifestyle change, um, I applaud you for that because... Most people, because of their upbringing and cultural norms, um, look upon that as being like substandard housing or somehow that you're, you know, trailer trash or whatever. In other words, if you don't have a 2,500 square foot house for your uh, 2.1 kids, that you know you're somehow a loser. The the whole point here is to re-question everything. Do we really need, you know? 
500 plus square feet for each person in our home. Oh, I've been a fan of the small of the tiny house movement for a long time. I, I before I was in trucking, uh, I was in architectural design and engineering and and uh, not engineering, but architectural design and sales and and uh, I've, the postmodern tiny house craze is actually. Uh, of course, the funny thing is it's been resisted by civil governments. They don't want tiny houses. They want you to have a lot. They don't because there's no debt affiliated with a tiny house. There's no property tax. Exactly. Um, so the other thing I wanted to ask you just before we 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 we, we go out of here because um, I I started out the program talking commenting about your beautiful family and uh, of course a lot of these individuals you know Joe Graham, the Botkins. Uh, we're we're talking about. Uh, whether you want to call it quiverful or you just call it, you know, uh, a blessing, a, you know, a house full of blessings, uh, these Christian families, I, I presume the majority of them, uh, are are uh, enjoying all the children the Lord gives them. And uh, and a question I guess I would ask is how how does large families and our extended families uh, f- uh, figure in integrally to this entire mindset and lifestyle, uh, Jason? It's a good question. So, um, you know, it, and I'm going to touch on the tiny house thing you mentioned. It's interesting, the whole, the, the tiny house thing is very countercultural, right? And it's largely secular. It's not, this is not like a Christian-led movement, right? Right. Why are people desiring to go live in a little tiny house on a trailer instead of something much larger they can afford? Because modern life is unfulfilling for them. They work a job they hate. Uh, long hours to go home to this huge house that's a bunch of empty space to sit down and watch Netflix or whatever it is, it's completely unfulfilling and worthless, right? It's a worthless existence. Um, so for Christians who understand we have a calling and we are called to take dominion, and um, for those who God is blessed with children and we need to train them um, to have a biblical mindset and a biblical vision for the future, following those secular um, I would say God dishonoring uh, cultural norms in the in what we have as expectations for what is necessary for our um, for our families, and usually it's what's necessary for comfort, right? It's not what's necessary for. Well, it's how you keep score. It's basically how you keep score. Who's winning? Right. right. So, I, and the reason I mention that is because I'm coming back to this question. So, if people um, recognize this, and I think this is the, this is the primary reason why there is a large a preponderance, especially in the Christian homeschooling movement, where the um, the fathers and mothers have a vision for the future, they have a vision for their children, otherwise they wouldn't be homeschooling them, right? They, they're investing enormous um, amounts of time and energy and um, frustration in, in, um, in training their children themselves um, to give them biblical um, training and discipleship and there's such a hyper ponderance in that community of people who are also interested in homesteading. Why is that? It's because when we reconnect to the um, very the most important things of life, in other words, um, our, our, our wives or our husbands and our children and our extended family, and we understand what's really important, we realize that a lot of these minor conveniences and comforts really aren't necessary for, for happiness or certainly not for fulfilling our biblical calling. Um, what is necessary? Food, water, and shelter. Preferably, um, 
shelter that is uh, is well suited for the needs and size of our family, food and water that is clean and healthy and keeps us uh, strong for the service of the Lord. So um, I, I think that trend will continue. Um, it's not saying that everybody has to do that, but in um, and this is something I didn't talk to you earlier, but I'm just br- briefly touch on real quick because this is important. Um, why is homesteading so difficult? Uh, it, homesteading is difficult for a lot of reasons. One, we've lost all these skills. We have to regain them. Two, um, it's a pioneering effort because, largely speaking, um, it, it, if you in the old days, you know, you grew up learning all these skills and families uh, lived in either in the same house or in pro- close proximity on the same land, and so there is this intergenerational productivity and um, uh, you know brain trust, so to speak, and skill set that could all be pulled together at times when it was needed. And largely, the, the strength of America was built on the self-reliant, um, you know, obviously reliant upon God, but the self-reliant skill set and productivity of the agrarian household. Hey, listen, I want, to, farmers. I want to take this just this moment here to inter- interrupt you and to give a shout out to, to uh, Jordan uh, Goodwin. In Western Tennessee, who whose wife Atlanta posted a, a video of him the other day, making nails. He was making nails. Yeah, that, from, that's old school right there. He, he was showing basic blacksmithing skills of him making nails, and that's uh, yeah. that's that. that uh, so he's the man of the minute. One of the biggest challenges of going back to the land is the fact that land is expensive because they're not making any more of it, and. Um, if you're going to be producing from the land, you need a certain amount of acreage. Um, many people find Unless that you're using it, aquaponics. Well, perhaps. But um, most people are going to animals, grazing animals. stuff. So they need some acreage for grazing and also for grazing crops and those kind of things. You can't really aquaponically raise you know, sheep and other uh, ruminants. So um, my point is, is that if we... If we try to go and return to the land, but we take with us the modern cultural expectations of housing size and all those other things, mm-hmm. it's going to be really darn expensive. And this goes back to the point about the, the, the airstream you talked about. The biggest challenge of returning to the land is, um, one is that land is expensive, but particularly housing, according to modern cultural norms, is very expensive. So if we can break out of the the preconceived notions of what is necessary for our uh, for our comfort and we really go back to basics and look at okay what is really necessary and for your family it might be an airstream it might be a tiny house it might be you know using natural building methods and supplies on Jason the I have a friend I have a friend of mine from Georgia who is a tax attorney and him and his family are living in a tent in Montana yep or a yurt uh, it, it, yeah, yeah. It's obviously it's a very large and spacious, you know, uh, expedition type safari tent. But they've got their Land Rover, and they have opted that lifestyle because of uh, the allergies that uh, the family suffers from synthetic building materials and off-gassing of you know formaldehyde from 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 yeah, plywood and things like that. And so they've opted to live out in the west in the open air and they live in that in that of course he he telecommutes his law business so very very uh asymmetrical thinking out of the box by the way uh civil government as it's presently constituted 
we'll do everything in our power to dissuade you from unplugging yourself from the system. That is true. So to finish answering your question, um, how can we work intergenerationally to accomplish these things? Um, because homesteading and farming in particular is an intergenerational enterprise, the best thing you could possibly do in, if, you, if you want to return to the land, uh, and even, even looking at if you're going to stay in a suburban setting, looking at um, you know, basically pooling resources with family and even with like-minded um, believers so that you can um, basically be able to maximize the impact of the resources you're applying to land acquisition and the cost of housing and those kind of things. Have you looked into cost effective? Jason, have you looked into the, the whole question of whether or not you can even own anything in, in, the, in under the current uh, matrix or, or going back to alloyal titles where you actually... Uh, a little bit, but yeah, that's that's a whole other ball of wax. It's like a whole episode, right? But <laughs> um, most people don't realize this, right? They don't realize that they are not actually property owners if they own land because the local government has the property tax. Exactly. So they're, they're actually sur they're serfs on the land, we talk about this in the intro of the film, people can watch it. The local government is the feudal lord, they are the serfs, and they are paying rent on their land each and every year in perpetuity. This is one of the things in particular that makes um, owning land and living off the land difficult, is that we don't actually ever own the land. But it's a lot easier if you don't have the tax payment on top of a mortgage payment, right? If you have an older generation that has some assets that they can divest of and put that into buying land uh, or a farm or a homestead free and clear, then you have the you have the, say, uh, the, the property tax payment to make. But if you can then produce from the land to be able to pay for those property taxes, you're in a much better position than if you don't, and particularly if you have to mortgage it, because now you have to have an income from the outside. In order to pay for that, Jason, just the biggest challenge. Just think of what. Just think of what Christian congregations, even small congregations, could do. Now I've heard people say, "Well, we can't go back towards socialism, you know, and we can't do, you know," and they try to somehow explain away the Book of Acts and how people had all things to come. Well, that's socialism, and I, no, we're not advocating for 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 theft, uh, not even state-sanctioned theft. But can you imagine what 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 congregations who have virtually hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars in the bank and they invest in expanding their campus if they were to put those assets to use for the you know in 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 the way that that watching this um documentary might suggest to them right well and the thing is is that the those you know most churches that have camp, a campus <laughs> a construct um that is a centralized uh, approach to church and in, in my mind, uh, a centralized approach to almost anything is, uh, is unbiblical. Um, if you look, the, the preponderance of Scripture is that um, God uh, gives us guidance to implement decentralized solutions, and he always works through um, a dedicated minority, and there's a good quote from Samuel uh, Adams that talks about this, but there's, you see in history that people that move history are a dedicated minority, um, and in most cases, working through decentralized means to affect change. Well, the problem we have today is that we have a dedicated minority using centralized means to control everybody else. Right? Yeah, yeah I've, a I, very small elite controlling everybody else. That is an outcome of 
industrialization and industrial technology, which is a centralizing technology. The beauty of, of the, and I'll end on this, the beauty of where we're at today is that information technology and now this, the outcome of that, production technologies at a small scale are decentralizing technologies. And so the, the, the direction of technological innovation is in a way that promises great opportunity for believers who want to build the kingdom uh, and do so in a decentralized manner rather than having to um, work through this compromised centralized system to try to do it. If we were to use technology wisely and put it to use in a decentralized manner, I think we're going to be able to be much more effective in building a sustainable uh, long-term um, solution and solutions going forward that'll be the answer to a lot of the crises that we're going to be having uh, come down the pike in the next uh, you know few years to decades to come. So um, to, you asked about resources. I don't have time to give a whole lot more. I just want to give, um, we've got a, a, a page on our website set up for this podcast. Uh, if you go to beyondoffgrid.com slash war room, we'll have a page there. You can watch the, the, uh, the trailer for the film. Uh, we'll have a link there too where you can go watch the uh, the intro to the film and we'll also have if you want to buy the DVD or, or you can buy an online pass to watch it online um, and we've also had some links to some other resources we produced a ton of training content through our online training we even produced a um, three day training conference uh, uh, a couple summers ago all about how do you return to the land how do you go about getting started homesteading a lot of the nuts and bolts of that so we've produced a ton of training content to try to equip people to make these lifestyle changes and so a lot of those things are available for people to, to learn about um, we also do ongoing training so if you get on our email list um, you can sign up and we can give you some additional insights um, tell you when we have future training sessions coming up that you can watch for free uh, so on and so forth. So hopefully that's a good resource for people yeah. to uh, to follow yeah. up on. Jason, I really appreciate you taking this time and giving us as much as you have. And folks, it's really, uh, I mean, it's top shelf. This is a professional in every way production, and uh, you need to avail yourself of the uh, exposure to the information is covered. Whether or not, whatever you do with it is between you. Know, it's up. You know, it's we can't determine that, but it's it's helpful. It's edifying. Uh, this is produced by brothers in Christ and. Uh, who uh, share your uh, your vision and your values. So Jason, uh, Matthias, uh, Beyond Off Grid, we thank you. And folks, we thank you for joining us here today on The War Room. Thanks for having me, Bill. Thank you for joining us in The War Room. Please enjoy The Nation's Rage, Psalm 2, by my soul among lions. Why do the nations rage? Why do the people die?